Good afternoon, Kansas City. It is TJ Burton, and I am here on the 10th Voice, Generation T. And this month, we're going to talk about how much has just been going on. Um, I'm in the studio mostly by myself today, no guests, but I do have the wonderful, fantastic, amazing Rachel Katie. Hello, my beautiful goddess. How are you? I'm great. You're not mostly alone. We're together. We are together. You do have your own table. I'm really excited to soapbox today. (laughs) It's going to be a great time. Good. I just want to, you know, before we start, I just wanted to acknowledge we've got the greatest letter. I was coming in, I came into the studio uh, this morning to prep for the show and uh, looked in our mailbox and we got the greatest letter from uh, Victor DaCosta, who listens to us um, on Saturdays. I just want to thank you, Victor, for reaching out to us. It It means an awful lot to us to know that we can be, you know, a nice little part of your Saturday. So thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Victor. (laughs) And Um, what an amazing day. It's so nice outside. It's that, it's that awesome time in Kansas City where, you know, it's like proper fall because it's kind of warm. Um, You know, it's one of those things where you wake up, you've got to wear a jacket and in the afternoon you can wear short sleeves, then you're in a jacket again. It's kind of my favorite time of the year here. The queers do love dressing in layers. <laughs> I feel like I am at my peak. This is my season that would be considered my spring of like, I'm blooming, I'm blossoming. It's amazing because I can wear so many layers. Like currently, I'm wearing uh, my summer shoes and I'm wearing a pair of jean shorts, but I'm also wearing a sweater. So I just look like a little trash goblin and Rachel's over here looking absolutely amazing. <laughs> it's truly the dichotomy of man. <laughs> also layers though is the layers. other the other thing is that I can I can bust out my you know my jackets and my cardigan sweaters and tights and all of that great stuff. A so. really good cardigan is super underrated in my oh opinion. My I love them. Target has just put out like all of these different cardigans that I love <laughs> and they're so comfy and then I can wear them to work over my scrubs and it's just really nice. I yeah. love a good cardigan. Me too and you can come in all different colors and yeah mix and match and all of that stuff. Who knew that um, one of my favorite things to do is like throw outfits together it's becoming a thing i feel like that's kind of gotten to be less of my thing as i've transitioned (laughs) i I really used to care about what i wore um but i found that the more that i did that while i um actively trying to present as male the more people were suspicious of me and now when i walk out of the house looking like this it's like "Mm, yep that's a dude He did not try at all, and he is working it, let me tell you what. However, you know, those are those horrible gender roles that we've all sort of grown up with and need to sort of bust out of that box, but I completely feel you on all of those things, I think it also speaks to, like, a level of comfort for me that, like, I used to freak out in the mornings being like, someone's going to find out my secret if I don't wear this specific shade of lipstick, and now I'm just like, I'm wearing sweatpants, what about it? I can't, yeah, I feel that so much. I mean, I wouldn't even wear pink um, before I transitioned. Really? Because well, it would be a giveaway, of course. Of course I wouldn't do that. Isn't it weird that we all kind of feel, uh, this is this is confirmation bias, of course, but isn't it weird that we all kind of feel like uh, we're going to be found out, like anyone suspects our secret? Right. And we hide it so well, I feel like. We don't talk about it. We don't allude to it at all. And then our egg starts cracking and we're like, mm, what if I alluded to it a little bit? And then people figure out and we're like, no one knows. It's, <laughs> it's so funny. And, and 
most people don't care either. They don't really know what you're wearing or care or no. any of those things. But, you know, tell that to closeted sort of, you know, pre-transition trans folks. And it's, it's, a, it's a real thing. And it's a real feeling, fear. And, you know, it's all about that compartmentalizing all of those different parts of you. So if I could just grab like 16 to 19 year old me and by the shoulders and shake them and just be like, no one cares. Right. I feel like New York City subways are the perfect example of that. There are so many crazy things happening out there that people just do not care about. That's they, you could do whatever you want on a new in a New York subway and no one would care. No one would even notice. People are too like busy in their own lives to care. That's very true. That's very true. I was, I was, however, the, the flip side to that was I was always quite invisible pre-transition and now I'm, I'm quite visible, which is, which is something to really kind of come to terms with. I've always been a little bit of a drama queen. So like, can't say no. I relate to that too. <laughs> Rude. Can't say I relate to that too much. Um, but I think that acting out was also like a big sign of something's wrong, but now it's more comfortably acting out. Like I think I'm pretty funny in group settings. I would say. And uh, before I was just like horribly uncomfortable, but like acting out in a weird way so that people would look at me and, and I was hoping they'd be like, hey, what's up? And I could like tell them honestly. No one ever did that. They were just like, dude, you're weird. <laughs> <laughs> you're weird. Um, I So I've deleted basically almost all of my social media off my phone recently. I have felt a great sense of peace since I've done that. And I had to do that just with all of the tumultuous, crazy stuff going on in the news. I don't know what you know of it, Rachel, but it's been hot mess express out there in the world when you're trans and looking through the media of just like the Dave Chappelle special came out. BBC put out this article talking about how um, cis lesbians feel pressured by trans women into sex. Yeah. Um, I also went and finally spoke to my brother, Gabe, after not talking to him for three years. Oh, Spoiler wow. alert, I do not look how I looked three <laughs> years ago. Um, I am also sans chest, so that was a little bit of a shock to him. And he has young kids, so it was a whole conversation we had to have. It's been quite a crazy month out there for us, wow. I feel like. Yeah, that's, <clears throat> I fortunately, except with the exception of my father, my, my siblings, my mother have been so amazingly affirming of me. And I, I said the same thing, actually, because my brother has, has two younger daughters. And uh, when I came out, I was like, well, you know, do you need me to talk to them? Or do you need information? And they're like, no, we teach them to love everybody. It's fine. They have got Aunt, Aunt Rachel is here now. It's okay. And it was just like a, a light switch flipped. And it was just there I was. Wow. I really wish, I really wish I had had that experience. <laughs> it's quite amazing. Yeah. It was quite something. So I have nine brothers and three sisters. Um, yeah, I'm seeing your face right now. Um, <laughs> so, well, my dad, we all share a dad. Let's put it that way. We all share a dad. Okay. Um, I do have a brother that is, uh, 15 days older than me. So there's that information. Do with that what you will. The math. Yeah. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Something on that. Yeah. And, um, I've only ever really been like close, close with uh, my bro my oldest sister, um, Gabe, who I went and saw this last weekend, and then my brother Tyler, who I share a mom with. Only two of us, like me and Tyler, share a mom. There are nine kids that share one mom, and then Gabe and Misty, my oldest sister and Gabe, share a mom. So there's three moms and one dad. Wow. Yeah. Family tree is crazy. I'm going to need a chart next time. I actually had to this. make my partner a chart. <laughs> <laughs> like when we started dating, I had to draw him like a family tree. 
I'm trying to draw it in my head and it's just it's just not working. I was like TJ and then stuff and I am months. the second to youngest. Okay. My oldest brother would have been I think it's like 54 or something this year. <gasps> that yeah. The God. crazy age gap and I will be 25 <laughs> in January. So um wow. Yep, 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 yep. Maybe and TJ. it's a but so we went out in on Saturday of last week. And I was freaking out the night before I texted him. I was like, hey, I'm like really having second thoughts about this. I know that there's a bunch of crazy stuff in the media right now about how trans people are trying to corrupt kids. And I know that you have two young kids who I haven't really been close with because I have since moved. Um, As soon as I was able to get out of the house, I got out of there. And he's still, he's a doctor. (laughs) He's he's an optometrist at Wash U. Oh, wow. Um, And he... His wife is amazing and works for both. Like, they're just really cool people. And I was like, I feel like this could go badly because it has gone badly before. When I came out to my mom, I drove from Kansas City to her house in St. Louis. So four hours. Mm -hmm. I came out to her on her bed and she looked at me and she said, no, you're not. (laughs) And then she said she knew me better than um, I knew myself. Uh, also going to issue a trigger warning right now because like some of the things we might talk about today may be a little dark, including right now. Um, and then my I, I was crying to her and I was like, Mom, like, would you rather have like a happy son or a dead daughter? She looked me in the face. She was like, oh, yeah, I would rather have a dead daughter because oh. at least you would still be my daughter. Oh, boy. So I left um, and we haven't really talked since. I actually went no contact with her very recently because I was just like, can't do this anymore. Um Found out when I was talking to my brother, Gabe, that she had actually paid them money to ask me to detransition. Oh. Yeah. Like, tried to bribe them to get me to talk to them and, and get detransitioned. And I'm like, at this point, it would just be transitioning again. It wouldn't be, <laughs> we're not going back. Uh, right. But, and he was just, like, so cool. He texted me back and was like... I love you and like I've I I know you're gonna look different like we've all talked about it and like that's not why I love you like let's just go play golf tomorrow and eat and talk about it like I want to hear everything that you have to say and it was just so sweet like I was so nervous before I was throwing up and terrified and that was just like the honestly the kindest thing anyone has said to me since I've come out he was just so cool about it and it wasn't weird like I went over to his house and him and his wife and his kids were in there and they were just like Uncle TJ hi and I was just like that is that's crazy all right cool beans yeah will say transitioning to male does not make you good at golf I was so (laughs) bad we went to Top Golf, and there are little tiny holes that are different colors that you're supposed to aim for and he's like really good at it for some reason and i was just terrible i think i maybe got three balls into a hole out of the hour and a half we played wow it's really bad yeah i i my my father tried to teach me golf when i was younger and i kind of hated it i found it boring and it took too long and I didn't get it and I was kind of terrible at it and yeah so I was I was happy to kind of purge all of that stuff I think the thing that top golf did well though was it they had different types of golf games that you could play so one of them was just like try to hit the same point in the golf field every time and we'll give you points for that I'm consistent I can do that (laughs) even if it's not in a hole I can make the same place all you do is just not move Um, or it was like try to hit this color try to hit this color try to hit this color kind of thing there were some games 
if it was just straight up golf, I would have been so bored. But I also didn't know how to hold. He took like a boomerang of me swinging the golf club, and it's so sad. It's so bad. <laughs> so can confirm, transitioning to male does not make you any more good at sports than you were prior. Okay, so we're not not looking forward to golf tips with TJ anytime soon. All right, well, right. no. Okay. I don't think I could possibly um, be really good at golf or like any other sport besides swimming anytime soon. Okay. I never, I, I would, I, growing up, I was socialized as a woman. I was not allowed to play with the boys, my brothers. It was like, your brothers are going to go do the farm work and do the yard work and do all of these things. You are going to sit inside and learn how to spin and knit and make jewelry. Like, you're going to do womanly things. And I was like, what in the little house on the prairie is this? Yeah. Like, haven't we moved past this? No, we haven't yet. You know, the funny thing with my transition is I actually got more athletic after I transitioned than before. I'm way more active than I was ever before. Part of it was I had such horrible social anxiety before that, you know, going by myself to a group to go play a sport was too much for me. I just, you know, I didn't didn't want, you know, it was too people-y out there for, for me. And now I love it. You know, I play pickleball as much as I can. And I'm actually good at it, which is amazing because I tried a lot of sports before and growing up and I was horrible at almost every single one of them. So... I was really good at swim, especially in high school. But the thing was, I was so uncomfortable with it that I eventually stopped. Yeah. And I feel like now that I have had top surgery and I feel a little bit more comfortable, I would love to get into it again. It's mostly just getting over the first time going. I think once I do the first time, I would be fine. Um, it's also like, I haven't worked out in so long because I was so uncomfortable for so long. It's getting back to it. I think yeah. once I did it, I care about myself now and I think I would really be into it. Actually, I was working out at home before I got COVID, um, RIP to me, but I can't anymore because I have been, I've had long COVID symptoms and that's super fun. Yeah. I just, I, feel, I, I need to get into working out. I think that's going to be my New Year's resolution. We're getting up there. I got to make one. I'll get back into working out pretty yeah. soon. Yeah, well, if you need a workout, buddy, I'm all about it. Because I got out of the habit, too. When COVID happened, I just, you know, because so many of the places I was going closed, mm -hmm. and I was not able to really find a substitute for a lot of them. And so it was it's really hard. And, and then, you know, like everything, especially trying to lose weight or trying to work out or just exercise in general, make, starting the habit is the hard part. And then once you get out of it, you have to start it again. And it just feels like there's so much inertia and stuff built up to do it. So, yeah. Body in motion. I'm with you. Stays in motion. A body at rest stays at rest. I you got to make it. We, we can hold each other accountable and get in the gym together. I believe in us. I'm all about that. I would love that, actually. Because <laughs> that's the other thing. If you, have, if you have a workout partner or a gym buddy or something, it helps. It's you know? so much easier to disappoint yourself than it is to disappoint <laughs> another person. Like, I am I'm totally fine with being at stasis with myself. I could never let you down, Rachel. You are the coolest person on the entire planet. Okay. And I think this is a great spot to take our first break I of the I, afternoon. Yes. And I'll let my head sort of shrink back down to normal size. <laughs> and we will be right back after this brief break. Welcome back to Generation T with the 10th Voice at KKFI 90.1 FM. My name is TJ Burton, and I'm here with Rachel Katie, goddess extraordinaire, my sweet board up. And I just want to start with a little bit of a content warning. Um, we're going to be talking about some potentially upsetting things regarding trans people. And if that's not your jam, totally understand. But for those of you who want to dive a little deeper, 
please stay. We have grab a little bit of hot chocolate. It's a nice, cool fall day. You can hang out with us. Um, I originally was writing for this show to talk about um, like the demonization of trans men and masculinity. And I was researching a little bit through um, The Economist and a couple of different articles, and I found this article that really upset me. <laughs> um, they And it came across my Twitter feed, weirdly. It was an article about puberty blockers, and I got so upset I had to put it down and not read it for a couple of days because the picture for the article that like previews the article is of surgeons doing a surgery. Yeah. And I just... <laughs> The amount of misrepresentation of puberty blockers by people who are anti-trans really kind of sets the tone for just how trans people are treated medically. Um, Puberty blockers are not surgical intervention. There's also a TERF or trans-exclusionary radical feminist, T-E-R-F, TERF talking point that is uh, they love to call puberty blockers cancer drugs because oftentimes cancer patients or people who are going through chemo and radiation will be put on puberty blockers as their generic name um, to kind of help them reach stasis and not have as many hormones conflicting in each other at once and to hopefully slow the growth of cancer. Um, To call puberty blockers cancer drugs is just a wild misrepresentation of what they actually are. I I just can't... The amount of mental hoops you have to jump through to make that connection is sickening. Um, And to misrepresent an article by a really... like With quotes from a really great surgeon taken out of context, by throwing a picture of a surgery as the header of the article when this is just like a, a an oral pill that you take. Yeah. Ridiculous. Like how fear-mongering do we have to be to do that? It it just upsets me and I'm I'm really ready to go on a tangent about it because I I my my work now is educating healthcare providers on trans health as well as running a residency program. Like it infuriates me that this is the kind of stuff I'm going to have to actively work against probably for the rest of my career when it's as simple as a Google search to learn that that is not the case. The era of misinformation with all of this is just absolutely bananas because you know that some poor unsuspecting cis person is going to look at that and be like puberty blockers are inserted surgically. They're not like, you know what I mean? Like it, 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 there's no fact checking I'm honestly surprised when anything that I see online is fact-checked by anyone that I run it across. Right. My friend Josie, who was on our show a couple of weeks ago, she regularly fact-checks stuff and has taught me how to do so. She works in Oklahoma public policy. She's a great example of fighting misinformation accurately, but she's also a trans woman. Like, she has to. <laughs> she, we have to check our own sources. Yes. Oftentimes, we have to be our own doctors. Yeah. That's very true. The and there's so much there's especially with trans kids, there's there's so much misinformation and misrepresentation. I mean, and that's kind of the impetus of some of these, you know, horrible uh, bills going around like in Texas and Ohio and for a while here in Missouri that want to, you know, make it illegal for folks to intervene with gender affirming um treatments not only make it illegal but make their parents guilty of child abuse exactly that's the part that's like 
the icing on the crap cake is like, yeah, we're not only going to make it against the law, but then we're going to charge your parents with child abuse. It's yeah. child abuse to not allow your kid to be themselves. It is, and it 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 mis it misrepresents what is actually happening because a lot of times when a child, especially a young child, is is suffering from gender dysphoria and they've come forward to tell their parents, a lot of times the treatment is simply um, talking about it, going to therapy, and sometimes they just let that child try on what that other other gender expression might feel like. Um, those are kind of the first steps. Um, you know, no one's giving surgery to seven year olds, and there's very little like medical intervention like you're saying you can't wpath is very strict on their standards and there is not a surgeon in the world that will go against that it it, it's not like they're going in and being like all right time to go to the top like the chop shop it's not it is wearing different clothing socially transitioning and maybe maybe if that kid is of puberty age giving them something to pro to stop or prolong or put off their puberty until they are of sound mind to make that decision because healthcare providers recognize that children are not of sound mind to make those decisions most of the time there are some kids who are just very intelligent have done the therapy have done the work that maybe know that but they're still going to ask them to wait until they're 18 because that is what has been deemed by the medical community as acceptable and i don't know about you but i trust most most doctors however i have had to be my doctor several times and it is very frustrating which we we can get into that but there is not a doctor in the world that would operate on an on on like a, a eight-year-olds yeah. for that specific purpose. Yeah, exactly. And and the way you hear some of these, you know, legislatures talking about, they're, you know, talking about, you know, gender surgeries and these, all of this, you know, battery of drugs that they're giving children. Um, and they also challenge the notion that a child that is experiencing gender dysphoria is too young to understand what they're going through. And, you know, the, the converse to that is, is, well, you know, when you were five how did you know you were a boy or a girl? Right. How did you know that? Did you? I mean, it's it's always it, <laughs> the cis folks are never asked to prove their gender identity ever. And also, we're such a small, 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 small percentage. I think the last credible survey said like what one percent, one to three reliably. Um, granted, that's people who are actually actively filling out the survey. There's always a like error margin of error of like three percent or something. Sure. But you know, we we're such a small percentage for everyone to get so worked up about other people having rights. Like it's not pie. Like us getting more rights does not mean less rights for you, unless your your rights consist upon actively infringing on the rights of other people. Then maybe it is pie. But you know, that's a conversation for another time. But rights for someone else does not mean you get less rights and listening like educating children on who they are young when they're in their formative years is super important to their well-being growing up as a kid so they don't turn out like me who had a suicide attempt at 19 right like i didn't have i never had a conversation with my parents that was innately asking me like who are you i had several instances of acting out where now that i am here in this position and of sound mind i go "Mm, yeah that was a trans thing like crying in my mom's kitchen with like shears saying that i was going to cut my breasts off that is a trans thing cis people don't do that 
at least I hope not, then maybe you should go talk to a therapist because that is a trans thing. Um, but for to not have those conversations with children at young ages is denying them a good portion of their life that they could live happy and healthy. And, you know, would, really and honestly, parents, like, would you rather have your child dead or your child happy and alive? That's yeah. what it comes down to. I don't know if you saw um, all of the stuff happening with Olathe schools recently, but they uh, they yeah. did give out the gender unicorn, the gender and sexuality unicorn to their kids. Mm -hmm. I personally think that's a great tool. I think maybe the way they went about it wasn't the best, but like getting children to talk about that at a young age really helps them have the words to exactly. find a sense of self. And then you also don't have the fear of, you know, that a lot of people who are cis bring up is like, what if they do transition? If they have time when they're young to talk about those things, just talk about them, not even explore them, just talk about it. There is a lot less room for error and hurt and pain when they, they do something irrationally. If you allow a kid to explore who they are when they're a child, they grow up with this amazing, unshakable sense of self. Yeah. I don't have that. I am a full adult who feels like a 16-year-old boy because I never got to have a childhood where I explored that. It was always just, you are a girl. And I was like, sure, you're right. <laughs> and it always felt wrong, but I didn't have the words to say that. Yeah, um, education like that and giving giving kids the words and the permission um, and just and just having a positive representation and role models that they can look to is so important. And it's <laughs> the problem is, um, you know, uh, folks who go against trans folks like the turf turf folks and the the very rapidly religious people, um, you know, make up things like rapid onset gender dysphoria. That's not even a thing. It's totally not a thing. The, 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 the idea is, is where are all these trans people coming from? All of a sudden, they're everywhere. They're in the news. There's five of them in this high school, and there's four of them over here. And, um, you know, it's seen as a hip thing to do and a way to get attention. And it's just not true. Have you ever seen anybody do um, a flash dance? Uh, no. Okay, so how a flash dance happens is uh, one person, there has to be one person that starts the entire thing. Mm -hmm. One person. You can't start a flash dance with everybody doing it at the exact same time. There is no coordinated dancer in the world that can do it. <laughs> and it takes that singular person to have the courage to stand up and do it for everybody else to join in. That is how it is in the real world with literally anything. If you're going to come out and be like, I am queer you have to be the first person to do that for everybody else around you to also feel safe enough to do that. Right. There has to be someone braver than you who does it, who helps you, or you have to be the brave one. It's, it's the same thing with like the bystander effect. When you see someone getting bullied in public, if you don't step in and say something, no one is going to step in and say something. And then what? That person is bullied and might get hurt. Like, the chart of left-handedness is one of the things oh, I love to bring yes. up. It's a good People one. were not... <laughs> open about the fact that they were left-handed until it became socially acceptable to be left-handed. And then all of a sudden, these people were left-handed and the Catholics were like, where are these heathens coming from? <laughs> they were always left-handed. Like, I was always trans. I just didn't, I didn't have the words to say that. I did not have the vocabulary to be like, I think I would feel more comfortable wearing this set of clothes and doing these things. It's the same thing with queer people they also have to have a person 
in their friend group or a person that they know or a person in the media or someone to be like, it is okay. Especially when you don't have parents who teach you and let you go out into the world and like learn a new thing and come back and learn a new thing and come back and and have that safety net. Like you have to have someone in your life who directly tells you like, it's going to be okay because it's scary. There's still like gay panic defense laws and trans panic defense laws. If you come out, you can get murdered and someone can argue that they did it because you tricked them and that's okay. Yes. So yeah, uh, there are a lot of trans people coming out right now because it is, well, mm, Sometimes it is more safe now than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. Also, may I remind you, three episodes ago, we talked about the Nazi book burnings when they burned down all of our history. If you are wondering why it just seems like we just appeared, that's by design. I mean, if you've watched The Danish Girl, it's a horrible movie with a... uh, (laughs) A man playing a trans woman, but she was a real person. Yeah. Her name escapes me right now. Uh, Lily. Yes, Lily. Lily. Yeah. She was the first woman to have a, a trans woman to have a hysterectomy or a, a, a uterus put in as like it's a transplant. Yeah. Yeah. And when was, she was like 1911 when that happened? Yeah, early 20th century. Yeah. So like, it's not like we just appeared out of nowhere. Well, We've always existed. It just. Yeah, and and there's you know there's all sorts of lore among indigenous people too of mm-hmm. of trans folks and third gender folks and bi gender people um, throughout history. So yeah, we've we've always been here. The fact that we're visible and you can see us on TV and not being murdered on TV and and, and in movies and stuff that's the difference. And that's why you know shows like this and uh, positive representation in the media is so important because it might give someone the courage to you know finally take that first step and tell someone or go to therapy or do something. Um, I mean, when I grew up, you know, I grew up in the '70s and '80s. You know, I didn't have positive trans role models. I had to dig in libraries to find biographies of you know Christine Jorgensen and Jan Morris and those kinds of things. And they were, you know, it was hard to find. And there weren't trans people on in the media, or if they were, they were you know psychotic killers, or they were tricking poor hapless cis men into dating them, and or they were you know the sad, pathetic cross-dressing person who can't can't pass and are a joke um so you know if if you have that stuff reinforcing what's going on in your head it's like i don't want to be that i mean even even when i started to come out and talk to my therapist it's like i don't want to be trans that's awful i didn't want any part of it um you know until i finally realized that you know that's exactly who i was and it was actually okay and I'm I'm astonished because i i'm i'm teaching again this this semester at umkc and so you know, I'm around younger folks, which I usually aren't. And it's so awesome to see how open they are to folks who are non-binary and who are gender non-conforming and how many people I meet, especially in theater, who, you know, are using they, them pronouns or, you know, they, her pronouns and they're, um, they're the way they identify and or present themselves like day to day changes and they feel completely comfortable doing that. And it's so awesome to see that now i just am very impacted by people who are comfortable enough to live their authentic life now especially if i've known them for a very long time and 
that wasn't always the case. It's so beautiful to see someone just so open about that kind of stuff when it is still slightly dangerous to do that. Yeah. Like even even now being out as a trans person, I go back and forth pretty much daily in my head and I'm like, should I be should I be deleting everything and just like going stealth again and and being, you know, not open about it is me having on my hospital badge my pronouns is that a dead giveaway yeah um is that going to get a patient mad at me is that going to be a genuine concern for my safety most of the time i'm thankful that because i'm a trans man most people don't really think much of it they just figure i'm one of the people who do it and they don't really clock me um i am a lot safer than Um, the trans women that I am around, and I acknowledge that. But on the flip side of that, um, there was a study done that states that trans men actually face more dating violence than trans women can Mm. at times, especially in the cases of like sexual assault and rape. Because the moment that someone finds out that you're trans, it's then, oh, this is a scary situation for me. And if you don't disclose that before a date, that can always be a tricky subject. Yeah. I personally, as a trans person, have never had a second thought about a person that I've been on a date with genitals. I don't think that that's like something I'm thinking about on the first date, but like to each their own. If that's something you think about (laughs) on dates, maybe talk to your therapist about that. But like, I... To me, it's just a little frustrating that I can't just, like, exist. There's all this media that's, like, kind of chucked in your face and thrown at you. Like, I have been on one this week thinking about the the Dave Chappelle special Uh before anyone gets on me. I've watched it three times. I've done my research. Everyone, when I was like, I don't want to watch this, everyone was like, you have to watch it to have an opinion on it. So you know what? I did watch it. Yeah. And I've also seen Sticks and Stones. I've, I've done my research. Um, I just want to say, first of all, uh, it's a stretch calling it a comedy special, even if we're going with the typical, uh, the real realistic dire- uh, the, the literal, definition. Literal the definition. literal, yeah, yes. thank you. That's the word I'm looking for. Literal definition of comedy is just that it's not a tragedy. Would argue that maybe it is a little tragic. Um, and the thing is, is that I don't necessarily disagree with him on everything that he said in the special. Sure. And we'll get into that. So let me pull up my notes here. Um, so I watched The Closer three different times, <laughs> and it is just not good. It's an hour and 13 minutes, and it takes this man 11 minutes and six seconds to start making jokes about gay people and trans people. Yeah. And then the rest of the special isn't really even like comedy in the typical way that comedy is and it's not not comedy in this way that like Bo Burnham does it it's just not jokes there are some one-liner jokes kind of thrown in throughout the show and then the most of it is just gay bashing and, and bashing on trans people and this man like has fully claimed the title of transphobic he says multiple times yeah I'm transphobic And the thing is, is that I don't agree with that. I think he's just very misdirected. I don't necessarily think that he's, he is, he is not as mean or terrible as most of the transphobes I have come into contact with. And I think a little bit of education could go a very long way for him. But at this point, I'm just like, man, not your, not your thing to talk about. He gets really upset about the phrase punching down. Yeah. 
I would argue he's just punching sideways. And that is somehow makes me more mad. Um, Punching down is a term that is used in comedy and live performance in theater that basically means you are um, of a certain class in society and punching down means that you are hitting someone that is in a lower class so like if you are a white male and you're making jokes about like asian people black people you are punching down yeah um but i would argue like you're just fighting people that have it as hard just as hard you are just fighting other oppressed people and that is somehow worse to me because you understand somewhere the struggle that everyone is going through and he acknowledges that and i'm like how can you be so self-aware and so blissfully ignorant at the exact same time yeah it seems like uh you know i i've watched it twice i i wasn't going to watch it at all and then i was asked to be on a podcast to talk about it i'm like okay i guess i guess i'll watch it and then i watched it again just to make sure i heard what i thought i heard Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. just you know because i because i Honestly, on the first watching, I did go in it with sort of a biased opinion because I heard all of this negative stuff. But I went in and uh, watched it twice. It feels to me like uh, upon the second viewing that he's doing something even sort of more sinister because he talks about how he's um, jealous of, you know, gay folks who are getting their rights and, and the movement seems more together to him than the plight of, of race and mm-hmm. of black folks. And he seems to be using trans folks as this wedge to kind of prove a point that, look, I'm going to make them really mad and let's see what happens. Um, this also completely negates the existence of people of color who are queer or trans. Sure. Like, he does not mention that at all. Like, trans people to him are a monolith of, like, crazy white people. Which, there are some valid points to be made when he says uh, a white gay person will always be white before they are gay. There is a part of me that agrees with him because I've seen that stuff happen in clubs pre-COVID. I have seen queer people turn on people of color because they are white and they therefore have, people will always see your race before they ask you what your sexual preferences are. Sure, People might clock you and notice that you are trans before anything else. That is a very valid point. But for him to like turn all trans people into a monolith of white people completely negates what he says are, you know, his people, people of color who are also gay and trans. Like right. that, that to me is hurtful. There are people out there who could have really used his voice. He's a very, he says it himself. He starts a special by saying, I'm rich and famous. Yes. And what a way to start a special by being like, I'm here. Sorry that your people died. I'm rich and famous. <laughs> Tone deaf. Read <Yeah>. the room. <laughs> Bestie, read the, like, it, but I just, it's just bad. If a trans comedian had gone out there and did what he did for an hour and, what, 13 minutes, mm-hmm. they would not have any any kind of anything. Yeah, if, you know, if a, tra- yes, if a trans comedian had gone out and had used um, women of color, for instance, as the butt of jokes and, and satirized their genitalia and how they act and how they sound, um, yeah, there would be a, a major outcry. The thing is, is you know, as trans women, especially he, he really had had it in for trans women. They, you know, he said he he did he he made fun of the surgeries that trans women get. He actually compared being a trans woman to putting on blackface and being this horrible imitation of womanhood, and then said, "Well, no wonder women are so angry with them. They're trying to take over." And I would be mad too. 
And it's it just it others us. It puts us in a dangerous spot, and it makes it okay again to make fun of trans people in general and trans women specifically. I just can't imagine being in a headspace where like that is the conclusion that you jump to. Right. Um, and maybe it's it's definitely because I'm biased because I'm trans, but like I cannot imagine being a person who that it's 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 like you give an inch and, and it's a mile taken yeah. like you the jumping the reaching like you need to stretch before you reach that much really and honestly <laughs> to compare women being women after years of denying their womanhood to blackface feels like a slap in the face to people who have fought and worked really 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 hard to get civil rights to where they are today they're not perfect i will never ever ever tell a person of color that they can't be mad about racism because in order to like get over something you have to be done with it i don't think there will ever be a time when racism doesn't exist in the united states we were founded on racism we were calling we colonized a group of people we killed everybody that lived here there will always be racism in the united states i will never tell a person of color that they can't be mad about that it's so like why would you tell trans people oh yeah it's the same thing as like blackface Th- those are in no way shape or form blackface is a legitimate horrible horrible thing yeah. trans women being themselves is literally trans women being themselves <laughs> yes his other point that he seemed to really lean on was um, to, to show that how, you know, the gay, queer folks, trans people in general have an easier time of it was look how easy it was for Caitlyn Jenner to change her name and look how hard it was for Muhammad Ali to change his name. But Muhammad Ali was a black man in the 60s. Caitlyn Jenner is a privileged white woman who lived in California. It's it's apples and starships at that point. You can't compare the two. There there is no comparison there. Apples and starships is a good one that I've never heard before. <laughs> like yeah, they're it, really different. Well, <laughs> and and that's the thing is like Dave Chappelle does not acknowledge the like class. The class difference does not acknowledge the time difference. Like it's it's grasping at straws at this point of just like yeah these trans people are the reason my life is so hard we're really not bestie and i'm gonna go ahead before we get into this next part i would like to take a moment of silence for um dave chappelle's um friend who committed suicide shortly after sticks and stones was released she was um spoken about in sticks and stones um her name is daphne um i would like to take a moment of silence really quickly for her so let's do that Daphne Dorman was a comedian who Dave Chappelle actually did platform. Um, she was a trans comedian, and um, he started the special by like mentioning briefly her and then ended the special by misgendering her in the grave one last time. And I just feel like that is very indicative of the entire special. If you had asked me to just watch the opener of his special and the closer of his special, I could have got everything I needed to know from that. And to make the trans woman the punchline of your last joke, that is punching down. That is punching down. I'm sorry. If you're mad about that phrase, like maybe do an iota of research into your own comedy. Like that's your career path and you're mad about a phrase that accurately represents you. Like that's punching down. And the way he he speaks about their friendship and 
and and how accepting she was of his comedy strikes me as you know the white person saying I can't be racist because I have black friends. You know, if he was such a good friend with her, why didn't he know that she had a daughter he, until after she passed away? He also never really talks about how he accepted her, which I think is a good point. And I know we're coming up to a station break here, but he he didn't really accept her. He tolerated her. There is a difference between accepting someone for who they are and like tolerating the things you don't like about them. And I would much rather be vehemently hated than tolerated. And I will get into that after this little short station break. We will be right back after this. Welcome back, besties. You are listening to Generation T on the 10th Voice. My name is TJ Burton, and I'm here with goddess extraordinaire Rachel Katie. And uh, we have been ranting for the past 45 minutes about all of the shenanigans of the last month, including me going and visiting my brother in St. Louis and formally coming out to him instead of just like kind of sidestepping it and forgetting about it, to be honest. (laughs) And uh, the Dave Chappelle special, The Closer some misinformation regarding healthcare. I will say, kind of going back to what I was talking about with my brother really quickly, I kind of did a pretty poor job of like timing my coming out well, because the plan was I was going to start tea and then tell everybody so that I couldn't like chicken out of it. And then I started tea and a pandemic happened. So I didn't really get to visit anybody and be like, hey, this is what happened. I like started testosterone and then my transition like fast tracked itself on accident. I have a full beard and I'm like two years on tea. That is very rare. Hmm. Um, Usually. And I had a beard basically after month six. Wow. So um, I ran out of time and then it was just me coming home and being like, (laughs) surprise. So would not recommend. Uh, But it's been kind of nice to be able to transition mostly out of the public eye and just kind of have that time to myself. A little lonely, a little isolating, but kind of nice. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, I I came out right before, I I just started sort of living when the pandemic happened and I was in this place where my career was, you know, was I still going to have a career after I came out and I started to get work and all it was, it was like, hey, this is going to be okay. And then everything shut down. So I feel a little like I'm starting over again. Um, But all signs are pointing to, you know, positive things ahead. So that's all good. I'm so glad that <laughs> things have kind of resolved a little. I, we're still in the throes of the pandemic, and I think this winter is going to be absolutely horrible. But I'm glad, at least, that you have retained work from it, and I'm glad that your name is still out there because you are amazing to work with. Can <laughs> can can vouch for her literally any time. <laughs> Put your name on my resume. I got you. Okay. I wanted to shift gears a little bit into like the healthcare aspect of being trans, but also this really horrible article that came out from BBC. I don't know if you've had a chance to read it, Rachel, but it is... Uh, I did. She's bad. Um, so I would like to point out, this article came out literally the same week, I'm pretty sure the same day, that an article from BBC came out talking about like how many trans people are on Broadway and how many trans... like All good things for trans people. And then there's this, which I'm pretty sure is an op-ed, but it's still being allowed to be platformed on BBC. Yeah. Um, the whole, It's basically... I'm almost positive the title is like cis lesbians are upset because trans women are pressuring them to be to sleep with them. I would like to say, first of all, no, that's not (laughs) happening. Um, I would argue that this is confirmation bias. Um, I don't know what kind of journalism this is to have like 54 paragraphs of one side and then introduce the other side of the argument after the most of the article is done and to interview one trans person like 62 paragraphs in (laughs) one trans person right i don't know who would 
which trans person would ever consent to an article like that to begin with, because why would anyone want to put themselves through the mental gymnastics of like trying to basically prove something that doesn't exist? Like, how are we, the more that trans people are pressured of like, are you trying to pressure people? Like, if we say no, we're not doing that. We're going to get told we're lying. And if we say, yes, we're doing that, then it's like, oh, you're admitting to it. And if we don't say anything, then we're we're in a catch-22. Like, there's nothing we can really do or say to say that that's not happening. And originally, this article was just being horribly terrible to trans women. Yeah. Um, but then one of the people who was interviewed in the article went on this like absolute rampage and also then roped trans men into it. And it's just this whole situation has been a big whole hot mess. And that was really the catalyst for me, like taking everything off of my phone and being like, I need to go outside and touch grass and be a real person because this is not, this is not okay. Um, and that for a, a hot minute last week was me being like, am I just going to delete my entire persona off the internet and basically just go run away in the woods and hide away from people? <laughs> but It's too peopley out here. The language of this article is just so from from the first sentence is so hostile and like pointed towards like trans women are a problem and this is why they're a problem and then it just is repeating itself and the same crappy arguments that were used against gay people it's it's reheated homophobia is what it is back when gay people were um in in the civil rights movement when queer people were more it was finally starting to be accepted more that queer people were um, people, and especially in the 90s, too. It was, oh, well, gay people are pressuring me into sex. <laughs> gay men are pressuring me into sex. They weren't. I promise you they weren't. 90% of the people that were saying they were getting pressured into sex were not people that queer people wanted to involve themselves with anyways. So it that's not happening statistically that is not happening i can't imagine a trans woman who would put herself in harm's way by like going out there and being like forcing people to sleep with her yeah yeah and i mean the the other part of the article too is just is saying that um that lesbian identifying people are um being forced to accept trans women as you know, as women and as possible dating partners, that there's there's so many layers to this thing, and it does get very sticky as you as you sort of peel back all the layers. But one of the things that rings true to me is if someone just blanketly says, you know, I don't date trans women, period, um, that feels wrong to me. That is automatically um, assuming a whole bunch of things about a class of people that are so very different. Saying that you have a preference in you know your in bodies and genitalia feels okay to me, um, and it's definitely something I would accept if I was dating. Um, it's hard. It, it's it's a bummer, but um, certainly you're not trying to force anyone into liking a thing that they don't like. But I think monolithing trans people into one like. People and a singular adjective about a person does not describe their entire being. There are right. conservative trans people, there are liberal trans people, there are black trans people, there are white trans people, there are young trans people, there are old trans people, not as many older trans people because most of the queer community uh, died out with AIDS, which was not not yeah. great. Um, we really like to assume to assume that 
everyone with one singular adjective is the same is just bananas to me. It's it's like assuming that every gay person acts and sounds the exact same, that every cis person acts and sounds the exact same. Sure. It doesn't it's it's not sound, it's not a sound argument. So to say, oh, I don't date trans people, that's a red flag of like you've got a problem. That doesn't have to do with me and that also affects my safety. So we're gonna end this now. Right. Yeah, that's very true. I think having an open mind, you know, I can understand not having a reservation well, having a reservation against it. But also do some research. Don't expect me to be your your trans encyclopedia. <laughs> like, don't come into me. It, when I was on Tinder before I met my partner, um, the first thing I would tell people, I don't never put it in my profile, but I would tell people like, hey, just so you know, before we like meet in person, I just wanted you to know that I'm trans. And it either went one of two ways. People were either like, yeah, cool. Or <laughs> I'd be like, oh, so have you had the surgery? <laughs> Or yeah. like one of my one of my residents this week texted me and was like, "Can I ask you a personal question?" And I was like, "You are allowed one because we are work friends." And he was like, "Are you attracted to men or women?" And I was like, "All right, we're done. No answer. You asked. I never said I would have to answer." But it's just like, what gave you the gall, the audacity, the nerve to be? If that is the first thing you're thinking about, Bestie, you've got some problems. Yeah. Although you know that question can go really sideways pretty quickly so in terms of can i ask you a question that wasn't the worst thing you could have been asked that, no it's not but like <laughs> st- i always know when when i'm not meaning to monolith as people i'm really not but anytime a cis person has ever asked me can i ask you a personal question it's always been something about like my relationships my love life or my sex life it's never like can i ask you a personal question how are you doing right it's always like, can I ask you a personal question? Have you had the surgery? Yeah. Can I ask yeah. you a personal question? Are the people that you date also trans? And it's like, can we just have a normal conversation without thinking about my body or anything for like five minutes? Yeah, it is it is interesting once once folks, you know, know that you're trans and know that history about you, it, it somehow makes you this open book encyclopedia that you can ask them anything. And some of that is because, you know, until recently, there wasn't a lot of exposure of trans folks. And, you know, the only trans people anyone had ever sort of come in contact with were in movies and television. And, you know, when they meet a real live one out in the wild, it's, you know, they're, it's like seeing a unicorn. Oh, my God. And that's also, like, led to a lot of issues in healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had to really be my own doctor and my own advocate because... Doctors before really recently have not cared much about trans people because we are so few and far between between the patients that they see. Oftentimes, we don't even have health care to go see doctors. When we do have health care, it's like they haven't been trained. When I was doing my trainings with KU and HCA, I looked at the doctors and I was like, listen, let me be real here. Like, You would never send a resident in to do an IUD insertion if they've never done one before. But you will send a doctor in that has not been trained on how to talk to trans people. That's not okay. Yeah. They were like, oh, I get it now. And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Like, you need to have some training before you try to do this thing because, you you know, you're both going to be scared if neither of you have done this before. Right. And 
that lack of research has really read, led to some problems. Like we don't really know the long-term effects of a lot of the stuff we're doing to ourselves. We only know by talking about it. Like Aiden Dowling recently just posted that he went to the gynecologist. He's He was on the cover of Men's Fitness Magazine. He was the first trans man ever on the cover of Men's Fitness. Yeah. Um, and he posted a picture of him at the gynecologist. And he was like, I got a pap smear today. And everyone in the comments was like, do I need to do that? Yes. Yes, you sweet, sweet summer child trans man. Yes, you still, if you still have a cervix, you still need to be getting a pap smear. And even if you don't have a cervix, if you have a partial hysterectomy, you should still be getting pelvic exams. Yeah. It's uncomfortable and it sucks, but you get cervical cancer at the same rates as yeah. cis women do. Exactly. So. You gotta, you you gotta take care of yourselves, and the lack of access to that information is why we're in such the predicament that we're in. There aren't doctors that are personally invested in this; they don't care because it doesn't affect them, which I I understand. But like, there has to be someone that cares and is emotionally invested in the situation. All of us trans people cannot go get our medical doctorate and like <laughs> all become doctors. That's not going to happen anytime soon. Like, we need to have cis people who are already doctors who have the money, who have the resources to be like, I care about you. Let's do some studies and figure out what we're doing to make sure that this is the thing that's going to work long term. Yeah. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, there's oftentimes, especially when I first started, I felt like I knew more than the doctors who were trying to treat me because as a trans person, I studied this stuff for a long time. And Granted, a lot of it's anecdotal because it came from other trans people, but that was more than some of the doctors had done who had read an article from, you know, the 80s and, and they were like, this is this is what we're doing. This is this is how, um, you know, you're going to be treated. And so much of that is out of date. And so so much of um, hormonal care, especially for trans women, is based on postmenopausal cis women. And we have completely different needs than postmenopausal cis women do. Yeah, a lot of like trans male healthcare is also like postmenopausal women because we've gone through menopause. Right. And it's like it's it's comparable but it's not the same thing. Studying actual trans people is going to give you better results than like when you study a lab rat, <laughs> it is comparable to what might happen to a human, but it is not a human. Right. So it's it's similar, but it's not. You're it's you're it's trying to yeah, yeah. It's, it's a hypothesis that you can't necessarily check. So right. I know we're getting kind of towards the end of our show here, and that we've been rambling for a super long time. I wanted to thank Rachel for being here with me, um, and I just wanted to give you guys some things to think about. Um, if you have some time this week, look up trans broken arm syndrome because um, that's a good one that we all go through yeah, as trans want people. Information about how. Um, how fraught with peril some some uh, trans medical care is. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, and yes. I just encourage you to advocate for trans people in your life this month um, and come back next month when we talk about the demonization of masculinity in trans men. I appreciate all of you and I hope you have a really lovely, happy Saturday.